Thanks for listening to High Green, the podcast of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society. My name is Rick Kafori, and today we'll be speaking to some members from our online committee, Andrew Rydell, Neil Rousseau, Connor and Cullen Marr, and James Nixis, some of the younger members of the society. And we'll be discussing the ways that the younger generation is continuing the history of the Boston and Maine and bringing that history into a completely new generation. Thanks for joining us. Perhaps this story hasn't been told in B&M circles, but no. it's a B&M story and it's a good one. And the next thing you know, we hear 119 getting out of town with his steam engine working like the hell. He's going up by way of Rutland. Welcome to today's edition of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society podcast. This is a brand new idea, something that we're doing as a way to begin conversation about the Boston and Maine Railroad and discuss a little bit more about some of the interesting facets and pieces of that railroad's history. It's also going to be a really good way to talk to some very interesting people, both from the hobby world and the railroading world as a whole. And we're going to learn a little bit more about the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society and what we do and what we offer. It's starting to get cold outside. And why not weather the classic New England winter with some apparel from the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society? In our online store, we have full winter jackets, fleece sweatshirts and fleece vests. We've got hooded sweatshirts and we've got long sleeve t-shirts as well. One of my favorite pieces of clothing that we offer are the fleece vests. They look great on top of a sweater. And the fleece sweatshirts are perfect liners for your favorite ski or winter jacket. Of course, all of our items are made here in the United States. They're great quality. They maintain their color and their graphics. And every single penny goes right back into supporting the Boston and Maine Historical Society. Head on over to the online store and check it out today. We're here today with four members of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society's online committee. And uh, we're here kind of just to talk a little bit about the ways in which uh, some of the younger generation uh, are involved with the society and the history of the Boston and Maine uh, in their own special, specific way. It's kind of a neat thing about the railroad hobby and the railroad interest that everybody's sort of a jack of their own trade. Um, you have different people that are interested in different subjects and experts on different subjects. Um, and because of that, uh, they contribute uh, to a larger community in different ways. And we're seeing uh, a lot of younger people coming into that sort of interest and in coming into their own in their different roles, whether it's historical or they're active in preservation, or they're possibly interested in archiving and cataloging. Uh, or working on content. There's a lot of younger content creators out there that are creating videos and that sort of thing right now uh, to contribute to the community as a whole. Uh, so the four members that we have here today with us um, that are part of the online committee, we've got uh, Andrew Rydell, who is a columnist for the Boston and Maine Historical Society's newsletter. He does the Andrew's Excursion uh, column there in the newsletter. If you have the newsletter, if you're a member, uh, you've definitely seen it. Uh, he also does our uh, videos for us, the Andrews Excursions videos that you've probably seen on the website and the Facebook page as well. We have Neil Rousseau with us here today, who is another member of the online committee. He works specifically 
with the moderation of our YouTube page. Uh, so if, you, if you've interacted with our YouTube page, left comments, very possible that Neil has responded and you've probably interacted with him there a little bit. He's also worked for the Winnipesaukee Scenic Railroad operating on former Boston and Maine trackage. So he's got some experience uh, working on a former B&M branch line, which is something that we're going to discuss uh, as well. And then we've got Connor and Cullen Marr, both of whom work for the Conway Scenic Railroad, which is another former Boston and Maine and also Maine Central part of those systems. They're also collectors of railroad artifacts and paperwork, documents, that sort of thing. Uh, and they're also Boston and Maine modelers. They're working on a Boston and Maine proto-freelanced layout right now. So uh, they've got some experience in that modeling sector of the hobby as well. All of us were all younger generations of railroad enthusiasts. Uh, and we really wanted to showcase some of those ways in which uh, the younger generation, uh, particularly in the Boston and Maine Historical Society, those of us that you've um, been able to interact with on the Facebook page or seen the Minuteman Tales videos that we've done kind of get a feeling, kind of know who we are at the same time and kind of get a feeling of how most of us are being involved in our own roles. Now, most of us um, are over 25. So um, there are younger people that are involved in the society and involved in the historical scene as well. But um, we've all kind of got that role to play. And the neat thing about this is that uh, we all have sort of a connection to this history. And a lot of us have not even witnessed this history ourselves. Uh, which is really kind of kind of a fascinating thing. Um, I mean, the Boston and Maine ceased to be an independent company almost 40 years ago, and uh, that's before most of us came along. So um, sort of the ways in which that we're connected to that history uh, decades after it ended. So we're going to start off here. We're going to move right over to uh, some individual questions. We're going to ask um, each of you, sort of uh, how your interest came to be, how you became involved with the society, um, but also where your personal interests lie and the things that, that make you uh, passionate about the Boston and Maine, its history, and uh, what's going to kind of keep you interested uh, as the years progress. So, Andrew, I think uh, we'll start with you. Uh, if you could kind of go into your background a little bit, just talk about um, how you became interested in the Boston and Maine and what speaks to you about the Boston and Maine specifically. What about that railroad's history? Um, is something that, that keeps you interested. And I know that you've spent a lot of time exploring uh, former Boston and Maine lines and sites of interest. So if you could just kind of go into that as well and, and lead us into what makes you as a younger person interested in this particular part of history. Absolutely, Rick. Happy to do so. Um, to start off, uh, my interest in the Boston and Maine began back when I was a boy. Um, Grown up in the Boston area, my grandmother lived in Wakefield, Massachusetts. Uh, she used to take me and my sister to the Friendlies that was right next to the train tracks. And I used to watch the commuter rail trains go by while sitting in Friendlies. And um, also going up to New Hampshire with my parents, we had a condo on Newfound Lake uh, mm -hmm. near Bristol and also not too far from the former Boston and Maine Northern Main Line, which passed through uh, Danbury, New Hampshire. Yep. And oftentimes, if we took a trip over to Vermont or the Lake Sunapee area, would drive down U.S. Route 4 to get over to 89 and would drive by Potter Place. Mm -hmm. And I remember even as a young boy seeing Potter Place and seeing the old northern tracks. Uh, this was probably like late 1980s, I'd say, um, oh, yeah. 88, 89. And the line had been officially abandoned for, 
I actually, I don't even know if at that time it was officially legally abandoned, but it had been long out of service at that time. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, I remember seeing the tracks with the weeds growing up through them, the mm-hmm. Potter Place station, and just thinking like, wow, what a, what a neat little train station. Like what's, what's the story behind it? remember asking my dad and him telling me oh, I was part of the Boston Main Railroad. And I guess that always, some of those experiences I had as a child, uh, taking travels with my parents or going places when I was a little older and middle school, high school age, um, you just see some of these places that are have long been defunct, but in some way still survive they're still identifiable so mm-hmm. it's always sort of in my mind is this interesting kind of like lost piece of new england history so to speak right. i think that all of us kind of can relate to i know um you know for you like you connor for, for example growing up in londonderry um i'm sure you remember the tracks right there by mammoth road um you know the rusted old manchester and lawrence branch of course um, you know, and myself walking, driving around Manchester, I remember seeing, just seeing these corridors and wondering what the story was. And I think Andrew, going off of what you're saying there, um, on these road trips with your parents, even just driving to the store or going to friendlies, you know, you notice things, and that sort of starts to get all the puzzle pieces out of the box and onto the table, and then the next step is putting them together. So that's kind of what I've noticed about your pieces that I've really enjoyed is the way you take those puzzle pieces and you you put them together. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think what I find the most satisfying about exploring the Boston Maine is even even areas that are long abandoned, long quote unquote lost lines. If you really like walk into the woods, walk down an abandoned right of way, mm-hmm. you can almost always find some sort of piece of evidence of what was once there. Um, I've seen everything from like a signal base in Rumney, New Hampshire on the old uh, White Mountains Division mainline to, uh, you know, little tie plates along rail trails that literally hundreds of people run and walk by all the time and never notice. Um, It's amazing if you just go to some of these places and go with an open mind and know what to look for, you can almost always find something very rewarding and worth uh, documenting. And that's kind of what I go for in my articles. I want the, you know, I like to think that I'm taking the reader on a short journey to discover something that, you know, most people may have never noticed on their own. Yeah. And I think the really nice thing about that specifically is we have so many members around the world, even, you know, we've got members of the society from Germany and uh, Canada and England. And they'll probably never be able to walk those same right of ways that you will. So, you know, having the younger generation go out there and, you know, document these things and get the pictures out there as these, these places change and develop, it's bringing that story not only to the people that are in the general area, but the people from, you know, far away that will never be able to actually, you know, they'll never be able to see the B&M with their own eyes, but they'll also never be able to see the places the B&M ran for, for the most part their own eyes. So um, definitely kind of a neat, neat piece there. Um, So Neil, you have worked on the the Winnipesaukee Scenic Railroad, and we were just talking with Andrew a little bit about uh, seeing the remnants on these abandoned lines, but the White Mountain Branch is very much in service. Uh, And heading up north out of Meredith, there's a lot of places where you can see, you know, different remnants of the Boston and Maine, the way it was, you know, the the way the line was when the B&M was still running. 
Um, so, you know, in your travels, you know, working for the, the Winnipesaukee Scenic, did that kind of play a role in, in you getting interested in the Boston Maine, seeing some of these remnants from the train as you were running? Uh, yeah, de definitely. Um, it opened it up to wanting to learn more about what was there mm -hmm. prior years and what it looked like and how it operated. Right. Uh, one of the things actually that I found very interesting is the recent newsletter mm -hmm. uh, about the uh, going down the rabbit hole in Ashland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, Actually, I read that and I thought it was very cool because the last time I did a fall foliage trip, I saw where the tracks, mm -hmm. where the grade was going down towards that mill. Yep. And I, I still to this day go by and I can never picture like how that would look with rail actually going down there, like how steep it was. Right, right. And I looked through the newsletter at those pictures and it's like, well, I mean, the, the, the grade's still there. I mean, if we put the rails back, it would look exactly like what it was back in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of that physical connection that you get to see. Um, and I think that's one thing that that brings a lot of the younger people into into this hobby specifically is because, you know, we're playing catch up. You know, a lot of us really are playing catch up um, to try to just just visit these places. And, you know, when you get the chance to see, you know, from a train, um, you know, like like that spur that went down into the Ashland Paper Company. Um, it just kind of, it, it kind of brings it out onto a new level. Uh, and I think, you know, the further away that we get from that, from that history actually being a thing, um, the harder it's going to be for people to, to relate to, to it. But I think when we have somebody younger like yourself that, you know, has seen that a hundred times going by it on the train and now knows what it looked like and you have the pictures now that adds you know, a whole nother lifetime to it because now you've got the rest of your life where you're going to be telling you people about that and you know what it looks like and you know where it is. And, you know, when the younger generation comes along 40 years from now, that's just going to keep that moving throughout time. And I think that's really one of the fascinating, really neat things about, about the hobby is just the ways that through word of mouth and through the pictures that people bring up. Um, it's just kind of keeping that moving along. Another thing that really makes that easy is technology. Now, obviously now we've got way more technology than ever before. Um, you look at the society 40 years ago, and I was just looking at some pictures actually for the next newsletter, which is going to cover the 50th anniversary of the society. And we did kind of a comparison and kind of contrast between the society of today and the society of back then. And there's a great shot of the volunteers working down in the archives in Lowell, I think around 1984. And there's not a digital device to be seen in the picture. You know, they've got typewriters, they've got clipboards. But the technology that we have today has allowed us to create YouTube videos and uh, have a Facebook page and share photos. And the YouTube channel specifically, I think, has been one of the best ways uh, to connect with people. And I know that you have spent a lot of time going back and forth with people on the YouTube page with comments. And you did mention to me that there were some people uh, talking about their own memories on there. Yeah, there definitely was a lot of that. Um, I noticed in a lot of the videos, they reply to them and they say, oh yeah, I remember that train back when I was a kid, or, mm -hmm. you know, I used to ride that train with my dad and all that. And it's like, wow, here's some good, you know, real live stories of people that lived it and used it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the most important things about this, this community are connections. 
Um, I'm sure we all have people that we've met that, you know, were important mentors for us and, and taught us things. And, um, so even those comments, you know, somebody leaves a comment, oh, I remember that train when I was a kid, and maybe you're from the same town as that person. And you reach out to them and you start getting to know them. And through them, you learn God only knows what, you know. And I think those connections for a young person interested in railroading and in railroad history, it's all about having access to connections. Technology has made those connections so much easier to make. Connor and Cullen, you, you guys are um, younger, you're, you're about our age, and you guys not only work for the railroad, but you work for the railroad um, very heavily in an area that was once very important to both the Boston and Maine and uh, the Maine Central, sort of carrying on the torch, carrying on the legacy of the Boston and Maine and the Maine Central in a very different way. Um, so working for the Conway Scenic, you know, and we're running trains most, more specifically on the Boston and Maine and the Maine Central. Um, and how have you kind of noticed that carrying on that legacy of the Boston and Maine? Well, for, for myself, it's really nice because I collect a lot of hardware and artifacts from the Boston, Maine. Mm-hmm. And being a big enthusiast of railroading old time style, especially pertains to the Boston, Maine. I like to, for example, like when I'm in passenger services, conductor or trainman, in my collection, I have a few hat badges that mm-hmm. used to be worn by original conductors or trainmen. And a way I like to honor the legacy in that regard, in that role, is I like to wear the original badges. Right. Because it's really neat to be able to, you know, keep little things like that still going as a collector piece in regular service. But it's nice a little way to tip the hat, if you will, to the railroaders that came before and mm-hmm. keep the BM spirit alive, especially on an original BM line. Yeah, and it's a, it's a whole nother level of preservation. I mean, you know, if you have you know, younger people come to ride the Conway Scenic and they see somebody dressed up in the exact way that a Boston and Maine conductor would. Um, I mean, that's just a whole other level of preservation. And I know specifically that you were involved in World War II reenactment, which is very similar to that in that, you know, it's a physical in-person view of the way that history used to look. And you don't get that from looking at a photograph, you know. So I think specifically that's that's something that you've, definitely been able to practice there which is really fascinating for sure and like and it's not just like for conductor i try to do it for and occasionally for like special events such as our rail fans weekends i have various bnm artifacts like to bring with me including fuel lanterns a flagging kit uh steam locomotive oiling can and i just recently picked up a few boston main fireman scoops yeah and i try to incorporate those safely for the artifact but be able to have them with me especially on a bnm line because it's like just like you mentioned about like world war ii reenacting it's a lot more uh of a better connection to the past if you're able to use the actual artifacts in the original manner that they were used back then and you can really get a sense of what it was like back then for the men and women that did those types of jobs right yeah it's as close as you're ever going to get which, you know, is, is just, it brings you that much more into the moment, which is, which is fantastic. Now, a couple, couple questions for you guys, um, specifically Connor and Cullen working at the Conway Scenic. So um, you guys have, um, you know, two B&M F, F7s, F7As, 4268 and 4266. With those engines, um, you know, when you're running those engines or when you're working with um, those engines, you know, what, what has the reaction been to something like that in a modern day setting? So, I mean, you have a modern day passenger train, but then you've got 
you know, a historic piece of Boston Maine equipment leading it. Um, you know, have you had a different reaction to seeing those locomotives from, you know, not only the general public, but, but rail fans, as opposed to, you know, say, or, or diesel that's not specifically from this area? Well, when the 4266 is used on our valley or notch train excursions, mm -hmm. people do tend to turn their heads more to the the streamlined units than yeah. the regular engines because there there's I would say there's a bit more of a an appeal to the streamliners than the non-streamlined engines because of the unique look to them. Right. Just the not only that but the flashy paint job adorning these engines just stands out more and mm -hmm. not to mention that the fact that they are engines that used to actually work in the region right. makes them not only an interesting treat for regular people just passing by, but for the railroad enthusiasts that come out to see them. And having something like that locally available um, is such a great resource for people that, that are interested or, or want to get more involved or more interested in railroading. You know, if there's a place close by that you can go and see a Boston and Maine locomotive, you know, if, if you're interested in trains, that's just going to help, you know, make you more interested in trains. It's going to help broaden that experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. And get you involved. And and I think kind of moving on to a subject here that's that's coming out to be pretty important right now, rolling stock preservation as a way to continue the history of, you know, a subject, the rare, the Boston and Maine, for example. Um, not only do you have Conway Scenic working on uh, getting 4268 operational, um, but you've got actually the only Alco S5 that exists. Um, some of you may not be familiar with the Alco S5 specifically, but there were only seven built ever, and six of them were for the Boston and Maine. And there's only one that exists, and it's a Boston and Maine S5, uh, 864. So that's going to be on the table. And then you've got 1113 at the Berkshire Scenic Railway Museum, which is being uh, rehabilitated, an SW1. And I was actually just looking at their Facebook page um, pretty recently, and they've got two 20-something uh, volunteers that are going down there and working on the engine. Uh, so there's another way that the younger generation can be involved with, with this railroad preservation. And then, of course, down in Pennsylvania, you have 3713, um, which when that's finally ready, um, and it's getting it's getting pretty far along, that's going to be such a landmark thing for Boston and Maine enthusiasts because it's literally taking you back almost 70 years ago when the very last steam engines were operating on the Boston and Maine, and that opens up a whole new spectrum of interest for the younger uh, the younger generation. So I think connecting with the younger generation is really important. Um, and I think the ways that we've done that has become evident. Um, you know, there are others out there that are wondering, you know, how can I become more involved with this? How can I come into my own? How can I contribute? How can I get involved? And I think we all have ways that, that we can do that. But I think, uh, Andrew, I think you know, a great place to start is going out and walking the right-of-ways. And you know, I know you've done that you know, many times, uh, you know, throughout your life. Um, and, you know, if you're just trying to get started and involved in the Boston and Maine and its history, you know, like what kind of advice, what, what, would, what should people look for? Where should they start? How do you find these lines to look for? 
I think in my case, I started with, again, like I said, when I was a child, just general uh, curiosity, like looking around, observing places and items that I saw. Um, If somebody were to approach me and say, like, there's a, you know, a rail trail in my neighborhood. Um, Do you think I could find some artifacts along that rail trail? I would say you absolutely could just uh, go for a walk, take your time, you know, just kind of um, maybe do a little research beforehand, um, see, see what you could possibly look for along the rail trail and the right of way that could have been left behind, AKA, uh, spikes, tie plates, uh, you know, bases for signals. Um, again, there's, there's, there's so much more to a railroad than just rails and ties. And a lot of that, I feel like only becomes really obvious when you find it, you know, 30 years after it's been abandoned, you're like, oh, wow, you know, look at, uh, look at this, there was a signal here once, or this is the box for, you know, electronics for a crossing gate system, or um, it's very, there are a lot of ways that you can just, you know, sort of go out there and just be observant and, uh, you know, learn each time you go out, try to learn something new, maybe uh, locate the site of like where the train station was in your town. If you think there may have been one many years ago, because again, oftentimes you'll, you'll be surprised what you find if you're looking carefully and, you know, you have an idea of what to look for. Yeah. And, you know, bring a camera, you know, document it. Yeah, absolutely. I started, um, I started seriously photographing and documenting probably around uh, late 90s when Mm -hmm. I was in high school. And then um, once I got a digital DSLR in uh, 2007, I mean, that was that I sort of just took off at that point. Like I was taking, I mean, at one point, I don't really maintain it anymore, but I I have a Flickr account and I got, I must have like four or 500 Boston main railroad station photos out there. Like I just, I wanted to go to every location, document mm-hmm. every station, or if there was no station there, I wanted to find something, be it platform curbing, be it some asphalt with faint remains of a yellow safety line on it. And mm-hmm. in some cases I did, I mean, Meredith, New Hampshire, uh, I was, you know, I located that remains of that platform, the yellow line, uh, yeah, it's just, I, you know, it's amazing. The prevalence of uh, digital photography was really a game changer for me. So I definitely agree. Bring a camera, even if it's just your uh, cell phone, bring something to document. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. I mean, you look at the pictures now that, you know, it seems like you just took them yesterday. And the stuff that we took in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, that's, that's classic stuff now. I mean, the stations look different. Some of them have been painted. You know, I was looking at the pictures that you took on our line, you know, in Plymouth and thereabouts. And there used to be cabooses there that are gone now. There used to be, you know, equipment that's gone now. So you're looking at these pictures that feel like they were just taken yesterday and now they're 20 years old. And it's literally, you know, it's a whole new, it's a whole new chapter in history that's now becoming kind of classic. It's really interesting. I know. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like I, I feel old when I hear that, but I'm thinking like, wow, you know, I I've been doing this for 20 years now. And like you said, Rick, it's amazing just within that 20 years, even on, even that a lot, a lot has changed like Mm -hmm. lines that were somewhat barely operable 20 years ago are now long gone and our rail trails. And it's just, I mean, things are always changing. So that, that would be my best piece of advice to, 
anyone who's looking to get involved in stuff like this is to just document as much as you can learn as much as you can, because you never know, like what's here today may not be here tomorrow, unfortunately, and you definitely want to capture it while you can. Yeah, I think once you have that, once you have that, that start, once you get started, you know, walking and, and looking, and, and then you can really start to get involved in groups, and you can start to get involved in, in organizations like the Boston Maine Historical Society. I know, Neil, you just joined relatively recently, and you jumped right into it. And within, you know, a few weeks of joining, you were in the online committee, you were moderating the YouTube channels. Um, and I think for a group, you know, I know when I was young, I wasn't part of the society. Um, you know, I didn't know how to get involved. Um, and I think that can be kind of discouraging to some people, to some younger people. They might see these historical societies as being, you know, necessarily for younger people or they're not sure how to get involved. Um, but I think jumping into it the way you did, Neil, and uh, getting involved is, is, is really the way to do it. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, what do you think, like moving forward, like what are you looking forward to? You know, like what would you like to see the society move on to? Like I know you know, it can be kind of discouraging for people to get involved or, or maybe they just haven't thought about it or just haven't done it yet. Um, but, you know, what are some things that you've really enjoyed so far? Um, and I think looking forward, what are some ways that you're, you're hoping to take your talents as a younger person um, into pushing that history kind of further into the future? Um, I think more trying to document like the branch lines and the um, small areas that the BNM serves. Mm -hmm the maybe lesser known areas. Right. Um, I think a lot of people, when you hear Boston and Maine, you think of like, you know, Metro Boston area, like the commuter rail and the old um, North station and stuff like that. You really don't see much about like the branch lines running up through Hillsborough or up North and such. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the B&M was such a diverse railroad. I mean, it was huge. <laughs> you know, it was, was literally just swallowed up all these little railroads. So it became a gigantic system uh, that you really can take your, in, your specific interests uh, and, and turn them into, you know, a benefit. You just have to take that first step. Collecting, I think, is a huge part of the hobby that, you know, that railroad enthusiasts take part in, whether it's photographs or models or hardware, uniforms, paperwork. You know, what would your what would your advice be for those that are trying to, uh, you know, get involved through the preservation of 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 items of historical items, um, and also you know from your perspective as you know a World War II reenactor, um, and you know I know Connor uh, that you do that, and then Colin you collect uh, old records and that sort of thing. What would your advice be for those that want to get involved in that capacity specifically? Well, what I would suggest for people is to find like a niche within the collecting aspect pertains to B&M mm -hmm. that you enjoy most. Because there are some people out there that I'm, I know that purely enjoy collecting passenger public timetables. For me personally, I, I just collect a broad spectrum, if you will, of various B&M artifacts. I think it's more important for people to find something they like because there are those out there that like collecting lanterns. You have others that like to collect vintage tickets, whether issued or unissued. And no, I think it's important to find something. It's not about finding the flashiest, coolest, like rarest thing per se. I mean, you can have just a standard B&M timetable from, let's say, like the early 50s. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and you have in your hand, even if you just have that only thing in your collection, you can find something like that for like 10 bucks on eBay. Sure. That's a nice little piece that you have is basically a little time capsule of what the B&M was or any of the road you choose of that era. And I find it really neat because like when Colin and I were younger, we actually inherited from our great grandfather some various brochures, but within it, and we're still trying to find out why I had some of this, was an employee's timetable from 1905 and some various passenger public timetables from the uh, 20s, 30s, and 50s, respectively. And that kind of got us going because it was a little jump start because it was really neat for us to be able to read these, being into trains when we found them, Mm -hmm. and being able to see, oh my gosh, trains ran through this town. Like, for example, being able to see the uh, passenger timetables of our hometown Londonderry. And like, no, when the trains ran through back in like the mid 20s or something, it was really neat to see, considering the line was long abandoned by the time we had read these. Right. It was uh, really neat to just like know, wow, this much traffic went through here. So I think it's really important, like in the collecting aspect, not only you're able to preserve a little piece of the BM that still lives on, but it's a great tangible piece that lets you connect to the original past, if you will, of the Boston Maine. Yeah, for sure. And I think and the neat thing about that, too, is now you're an expert on something, or at least partially an expert. So, you know, if somebody out there that that doesn't know about timetables, but they know that you do, then that not only gives them an outlet to continue their interest, but also it establishes a connection because now you know Connor, who's into timetables, you know, so it gives you that instant connection to to further the interest. And then you can share what you're interested in with them. And it's just a back and forth. And that's that's how it goes. It really, it's all about, you know, getting started and starting those connections. Yeah, touching on that, it, if you find items, like certain items relating to the BNM, like sometimes you'll come upon interesting finds that can really help tell a little story on the BNM. Because, for example, I was able to find a Boston Main Railroad conductor's jacket from 1952. And looking through the pockets of this jacket, I found the name of the man that used to actually work for the BNM and use that jacket in revenue service. And so one can really wonder how big of a part this gentleman played in passenger operations across the system of the BNM. It just how what kind of interactions this man had with various passengers on various routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just a whole nother level of connection. Um, and it really is 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 kind of like um kind of like a time capsule, honestly. Um, and for those that, you know, are 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, you know, plus years separated from this history. It really takes you into that into that perspective. Um, so we're actually being joined here now by James Nixis, who is the chairman of the online committee, um, and he is responsible for producing and putting together a lot of the digital offerings that you've enjoyed, uh, Minuteman Tales and that sort of thing. So uh, you know, we're going to talk to James a little bit here about filming and digital production and how that specific hobby, that specific interest. Uh, it can really help to expand um, not only people's interest in the Boston domain, but uh, can help, you know, to propagate that interest into the future and how the younger generation is using this technology to 
get this history out into the open? Well, we're able to reach two different types of audiences, I think, with filming, especially with the Minuteman Tales, which have really amazing stuff we're working on with that. Uh, but when we were filming meetings as well, uh, we're putting them out onto YouTube and to our Facebook channel. And maybe some of the older members can't get out to meetings, so they're able to watch the meetings online and uh, still feel connected to the society. Mm-hmm. And also the younger generation who might not be you know, have a slight, they have a slight interest in railroading and New England railroading. So they see the meeting or the video we produced online and they say, oh, I kind of want to get involved with that. So it really reaches a totally uh, two different ends of the spectrum, if you will, uh, to hopefully, you know, get members because, you know, we all want to keep keep the society going and keep the, the history and uh, the knowledge going. So I think that online uh, videos and the the meetings, the Minuteman Tales uh, can reach a whole whole lot of people. Yeah, and it's also a good way to connect with, you know, a whole different demographic that you wouldn't normally connect with because I think people that are interested in the BNM, people that are members of the society, they know where to look for this stuff. But if you have somebody on YouTube in you know, Illinois that has a passing interest in the Boston and Maine and they're just scrolling through YouTube and they see one of the Minuteman Tales come up, you know, that, that's a whole different group of people that normally wouldn't know where to find that history and now it's it's quickly and easily available for them, for the younger generation to find their place in the hobby and then use that to, to offer their own perspective is really important. And I think, you know, for those that out there that have not joined the society yet or, or don't know how to get involved, uh, join a society, join a historical society. You can give yourself more options and give yourself more opportunities and give yourself more connections. That's really the way that the younger generation is going gonna, is gonna to continue this history. Otherwise, it's, 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 it runs the risk of becoming lost history. Neil, Andrew, Connor, Cullen, James, thank you guys so much for coming today. Well, that's all we have time for today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society or joining us, you can visit our website, www.bmrrhs.org. We'll see you next time.